generic greeting, Steve. Oh, hello, Carlo. Generic greeting to you as well, my fellow <laughs> podcast traveler. Yes. So uh, we're actually recording on a Friday. So I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite Friday meme on Twitter? I mean, it's I, I just love, I mean, it's the classic one where they're leaning back on the porch. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it's visual, it's mm-hmm. well lit, it's clear, and you can kind of put any kind of, any mm-hmm. situation onto it, you know? Oh, like, gotcha. You know, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really textable. Yeah, you know, the you damn. Be, yeah, that's the yeah. damn. Well, actually, but was... it's more the reaction. It's the reaction okay, that I right. love. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that they're simultaneously leaning back because 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 you can use it in a situation where it's like you're surprised by something, right? Where you disagree with something, where you think someone's being dumb, mm-hmm. you know, or, or 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 there's a fine girl, or you know, it's like any <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it hits a lot every situation yeah. It's funny because when I what I had in mind when I was asking the question was actually what people post regularly on Fridays like as a meme. So an example mm. would be. You know, Daniel Craig, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Oh yeah. <laughs> or um David Lynch. Or, yeah, yeah, going. It's Friday okay. once again. I'm doing a terrible yeah. David Lynch impression, but <laughs> it's Friday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. got it. Yeah, it's your closer. And or like but, uh or like Rebecca Black, of course. It's oh Friday. yes, of course, of course, yeah. yes. Uh but my personal favorite has to be um it's a very wholesome one. It's a uh, mm. Congratulations, Sailor! You made it to Friday. The SpongeBob yeah. one, yeah, yeah. that's my that's a favorite. good feeling. It does. It, there's something special about a Friday, so it's like, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's nice, nice to get to this point. Exactly. All right, so shall we launch into quick cuts? Sure. Here we go. Quick cuts. Quick cuts. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, do you want to start, or should I start? Why don't you go? Because you probably okay. have more. All right, cool. So, um, uh, you know, we're wrapping up the shortest month of the year, uh, the month <sighs> of love. Mm. Been a crazy month. So, uh, did you do anything for Valentine's Day, Steve? I did, and uh-huh. it's something that we're, we're that we're going to talk about. Cool. Me and me and my lovely wife, the great, the, the ubiquitous Malika. Um, we went and we we got. To, to a movie theater and we saw licorice pizza and so we'll break that all down but it was so great to go to a movie mm-hmm. and to have the popcorn and to have the m&ms and to do the thing it was lovely that's a good lovely. movie did you get to do anything for for valentine's um yeah i watched a rom-com or two Ooh, baby <laughs> yeah i i had never seen um notting hill so um, I was like, okay, maybe I should watch it, you know, just to see what yeah. all the fuss was about. And, you know, obviously that famous line. And now I know where horse and hound comes from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a fun movie. You know, I, I still prefer in terms of like Hugh Grant rom-coms. I still prefer uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm-hmm. And maybe even yeah. like with Richard Curtis, uh, Love Actually, which is more of a holiday yeah. Christmas movie rather mm-hmm. than a a valentine's day movie but but yeah you know it's all right you know I, yeah um, yeah uh I mean, it, it, is it on like the mount rushmore of rom-coms or uh, it, i mean some people would maybe not yeah some people would um would put it there but i i would uh <laughs> yeah i i can name better rom-coms yeah. than, um, was and, uh, was hugh grant in the wedding planner 
Uh, it was four weddings and 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 a funeral. That was okay, the wedding that movie okay. that he was in, which is yeah, like, got it. You know, it's got that unique concept and mm-hmm. you know the great cast and a really funny script. You know, right. um, and I'll I'll never forget like that movie actually helped me memorize a poem that I had to recite in class. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there was um yeah it was an exercise in class where we had to memorize a poem and recite it. And there's a scene in the funeral of the title. Where uh, one of the characters recites um, uh, W. H. Auden's uh, poem, which uh, um, it, it's part of a longer poem, but they excerpted it, and it was called, I think, uh, a love song for Hyde Anderson. Um, and yeah, it's a beautiful poem, and uh, the actor I'm blanking on his name now, a Scottish actor who's in that movie, he recites it perfectly. So mm. that helped me memorize um, that. And then I also uh, rewatched Game Night um, in the evening, yes. and that yeah, that's now to me like it's gonna be a tradition that I'm gonna be watching Game Night almost every year. Or you know, it's the type of movie that if it's yeah. on, have you seen it? No, but oh, it's one that man. you've you've recommended. Yes, that, and um, that it holds up. Yeah, I think you and Malika will enjoy this movie. I mean, okay. you know, uh, I don't know if our listeners know this, but you guys are avid game people not gamers but you guys uh play board gamers yeah yeah. board gamers which is kind of what the um the the movie uh references it's more about playing different kinds of party games board games that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff so yeah it's fantastic uh it still holds up yeah (laughs) oh good so um yeah so how about you um so oh yeah so um so the movie that that me and Malka watched that um that I guess we could bring up as a quick cut. I, I was asking her what was her, some of her favorite films, mm-hmm. and um, one of the ones she mentioned was Dark Crystal. Oh, okay. And that was one that I'd actually never seen. It was always like mm-hmm. one of those ones, like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. For for whatever reason, I I just have that as gaps. Right. It's but it's movies that my sister loves, and so mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Let let's rent it. Let's watch the Dark uh, the Crystal. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's so it's like I knew it was Jim Henson, right? And um, sort of Muppet technology, but uh, mm-hmm. in, but a little bit uh, a little more fantasy, a little more Lord of the Rings with puppets, or it's very Star Warsy. Like I don't know, just just my just my general impressions. I don't know if you've seen the Dark Crystal. I have not. But yeah, it's it's one of those uh, gaps. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jim Henson, so yeah, yeah, I should see it. It's one of those things where I could see why it was a hit, and I could see how some of the scenes were probably really, and some of the technology was really cool at the time. Mm-hmm. But some of it is definitely dated. Oh, just, you gotcha. know, just just the way everything kind of looks in in the early '80s. That you know, and and it's kind of a you know, it, mm-hmm. it, I think it's it, it's a little bit of like Star Wars for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, s- some of the puppetry is really good. Some mm-hmm. of the puppets uh, are still pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And um, let me think. Uh, and you know, it just has you know, just a, it's a, you know, sort of a nice wholesome, uh, you know, plot line and storyline about how there were these species, and then something happened, and life on on the planet splintered and so they have to kind of go on this journey to kind of bring everything back you know it was definitely worth seeing um 
but it, it's to me it, it's it's one of those movies that it doesn't necessarily hold up if you, if if you don't have the nostalgia for mm-hmm. it like you might you, you, like i think you'll find yourself kind of scrubbing through it gotcha yeah did, did it hold up for malika since it's one of her favorites yeah okay yeah. that's absolutely good. yeah yeah so it was so you feel like it's a movie that you had to catch it at that time i think it, it I think you could f- like it now, mm-hmm. but it, it it'll mean way more if if, uh, if you caught it at, if you right. caught it at that time. Yeah, yeah, it's and like just, um, you know, yeah. I mean, I I for some reason I always associate it with like the never ending story, mm-hmm. uh, another kids movie with like massive practical effects, and right. I haven't seen the never ending story since I was a kid, but I remember loving it. So yeah, same with I the falling asleep a lot because it was long. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but also really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Return to Oz as well. I don't know if you ever saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like that. There was that time like in the mid to late eighties and then early nineties yeah. where they had these these kids movies and they were kind of scary too. That was the other thing about them. Uh, yeah, definitely yeah. the Return to Oz mm-hmm. has some you know yeah, iconic. The terrifying moments yeah the monkeys on wheels oh my god yeah those were scary yeah for oh, sure yeah. um well, all right okay so that's cool that's uh quick cut yeah all right yeah uh so my next quick cut is actually a continuation of my previous one i forgot to mention <laughs> um i'm probably gonna tweet this through our account um at Good. movie food pod uh i'm just i just have a quick list you know since you were asking about yeah. mount rushmore of rom-coms i have three but technically four uh movies so yeah i guess that completes the mount rushmore and um perfect you have probably not seen any of these most people probably (laughs) haven't because they're all asian uh you know usually um the british and the americans are known for the rom-com but they've kind of run that genre into the ground and it's amazing that a lot of these are also pretty recent that you know Asians have found like they've reinvigorated the rom-com like they found new twists and and ways yeah. to like um portray it where it's not mm-hmm. the cliche of like you know they they hate each other initially and then they fall in love and then they have that falling out and then they end up uh together yeah. in the end you know that kind of thing it doesn't follow that pattern um Neat. so the three that i have or technically four uh number 1 is hill of freedom which is one of my all-time favorite movies as well. Uh, it's by Hong Sang-soo. It's my favorite film by Hong Sang-soo. Uh, it's only an hour long, actually 66 minutes to be exact, which is incredible. Um, it's also, I think, his first film in English, which is uh, used in a comical way in the movie because uh, there's only one character whose native language is actually English, but it, it involves like a... A Japanese man who goes to Korea and that's the only way that they can communicate is through broken English so um, yeah it's a really remarkable movie I don't really want to give away too much but I will just say it also has like a really ambitious and creative structure uh, Mm. which basically is it's a bunch of letters that this uh, lady receives from this Japanese man but she uh, accidentally drops the letters on the stairs so she scrambles to put the letters back together, but they're not dated. So she's reading the letters out of order. So there's all these yeah. like time like jumps in the movie, which is just amazing. Wow. And it, you know, it's such a light movie too, which, you know, is incredible for something so ambitious too. So yeah. So that's number one. 
Uh, number two is Love in a Puff, which is a Hong Kong movie. And uh, the premise of this is actually um, two people fall in love because uh, smoking is banned all over Hong Kong. So there's only designated areas where people can smoke. So all the smokers basically get together and, you know, they kind of bond, you know, on their break times and stuff. And these two people meet at one of those like kind of meetings of, of smoking. So yeah, a very unique movie too. Um, and then uh, the the third and the fourth one, that's why I'm, I'm considering it as one choice though, because it's, it's actually the first movie and it's its sequel. And it, uh, they're both called Don't Go Breaking My Heart. And then obviously part two is part two. Um, and they're, yeah, they're incredible. And they're by uh, Johnny Toe, who I actually want to like cover on a later episode. For sure, we need to do a Johnny Toe episode. Because uh, Johnny Toe is basically, if you can imagine um, Michael Mann and Nora Ephron put together, (laughs) that's what Johnny Toe is like. He straddles like these incredible action movies with rom coms, like, and he does them both really well, you know. Um, So yeah, yeah, Johnny Toe is an amazing filmmaker, and we should cover him. But yeah. That's unique. Yeah. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, how do you thread yeah. that needle? That's well, you'll see. Yeah, well, we'll do a deep dive, and then I mean, he he was also really prolific for a time. Like he was releasing several movies a year, like sometimes three movies a year. Um, and but he kind of slowed down recently. Like there was a big gap uh, between his last movie and then the more recent movie. Like almost, nice. um, I want to say three or four years. Um, so yeah, hopefully he, he gets back on that pace again, uh, okay. because yeah, it's, it, it's a remarkable run that he's, he's been having. Great. Um, okay. So yeah. Do you have another quick cut? Well, yeah, I, I just want to quickly mention, so this was a movie I haven't seen in a couple of years, but since Val, it, you know, mm-hmm. we did past Valentine's, my favorite Valentine's mm-hmm. movie came out in 2017. Okay. It's called Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day Special. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mentioned on, this. I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. It's on Netflix. Um, it's by The Lonely mm-hmm. Island. And I think it was partially directed by Scott Ackerman oh, from um, from Comedy Bang Bang. And it's but So okay. I'll just read you what the plot is. S- Santa's elves mm-hmm. make too many toys for Christmas. And Michael Bolton must star in a Valentine's Day special to encourage couples to make love and conceive 75,000 babies. <laughs> So it's oh, you know it's so it's it, it, it's written ridiculous it's but it's but you're in the hands mm-hmm. of Scott Ackerman you're in the hands of the the Lonely yeah. Island and like that whole crew so it's just like they and, and and I think it's short too I think it's it's just maybe a little bit yeah. over an hour so it's just a fun romantic silly comedy about Valentine's Ah oh, man I mean yeah you should have mentioned that earlier that the uh, Lonely Island was um uh, involved because yeah. I'm sold on that. I mean, we could do yeah. an episode on Lonely Island as well. I mean, I would love to Ooh, do that because everything that they've done, one. I've enjoyed. Yeah, we can come back to it uh, for sure. How do you feel about Hot Rod? I I personally love Hot Rod, and I but w- whenever I say that, I always get m- met with like mixed. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I love it, and yes. a lot of my friends also love it. So, <laughs> I mean, I think okay, it's perfect. my favorite Lonely Island. Uh, piece just because of all the little details in it and we'll break it down but yeah like to me that really is what makes Lonely Island stand out from all the other like SNL comedies Mm -hmm. of their generation is their attention to detail 
So mm-hmm. yeah, Hot Rod is my favorite. Yeah, okay, for sure. Perfect. I mean, okay, I even cool. remember like, yeah, I, I gave a DVD of Hot Rod to somebody because I was like, you need to see this. So I just <laughs> gave it to them. Like, yeah, keep that DVD. You <laughs> this know? is imported. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That, hey, we are aligned. That's how I feel. I felt like like that, that was one of those movies where I, I was like, I mean, I, I guess it was similar to Clue for me, where I was just like, I wanted to tell people mm-hmm. about it, but I wasn't sure if people were going to be open or, 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 or if people were going to be like, no way. Right. You know, that, that movie's terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's such a gem. And uh, do you quote anything from that movie? Like, is there lines that you like I mean, from the I, movie that you well, quote? Just, um, I'd have to see it again just to get refreshed. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely The Cool Beans. Is something that just comes up a lot. <laughs> yeah. The cool beans, cool, cool, cool beans. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot. Just all the, how he wants to fight his dad, and he's like finally gets to fight his dad at the end. And <laughs> it's just, yeah, we'll get into that. It's, um, yeah, it's, yeah it's I'll just one. say one of my favorite lines from it is like, uh, "Why do you call yourself Voltron, Dave? I don't know because it's super badass." <laughs> it's like one of my favorite lines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um. All right. So uh, for my next uh, quick cut, uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention this was a, another weird quirk on Valentine's Day. There was a, a Lav Diaz movie that was like live um, premiered on Valentine's Day. Well, it was Valentine's Day in the Philippines and uh, it was still like Sunday here. Um, but yeah, they and there were surprisingly a few people in the chat like watching it live. Um, I I wanted to watch it, but I was just like, man, uh, you know, I had things going on on Sunday. I think, oh, yeah, that was Super Bowl Sunday, too. I forgot about that. So that's why I didn't get to watch it. It ended up being because nobody knew how long it was because, you know, Love Diaz is notorious for for making super long movies. Um, But uh, once the stream was done, you found out that the movie was four and a half hours long. So almost as long as the Super Bowl game. (laughs) Totally. Um, Four and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they they left it up on YouTube for for about twenty four hours, like so okay. people still had a chance to catch up to it. Just and see, yeah. you know, I mean, eventually, um, I do have a copy of it. Um, uh, I got like a screener, so um, yeah, I'll eventually watch it and report back because mm-hmm. I I've kind of I guess fallen out of favor with Love Diaz of late. Like I don't know, like his films just haven't resonated with me. As they did early on, so I'm I'm trying I'm hoping that this is kind of a return to form. We'll see. Right. So, um, oh yeah, and the title of the movie is "Ang Historia ni Ha," which is the the history of Ha, like H A. <laughs> so, and it's about, supposedly about a comedian. And just knowing Love Diaz, um, he he was a big fan of the the Filipino comedian Chiquito. But I guess he couldn't get the life rights for Chiquito, so he kind of made up his own comedian. So I'm I'm hoping this was the the movie that he had been, you know, talking about a long time ago. Because I actually um I made this short documentary when I was in the Philippines briefly, um, and I met Love Diaz and I I filmed him. I actually ended up spending the entire afternoon with him. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in the philippines cool. yeah there's a short film it's i think it's still on vimeo or i might have uploaded it to youtube but um but yeah uh the title of the movie uh is uh ang mga lugar kung saan tayo nagkita and it's uh, the kubao section so um the the english translation of that is um the places where we met 
So, yeah, maybe we can uh, uh, put a link in the the show notes. But yeah, Lo- yeah. Love Diaz talks about Chiquito in that little doc that I made. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, nice, nice. And so, yeah. and that, and that's up. That document. Is yeah, up. yeah. It, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's been up for years. Like, yeah. I mean, this was almost. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was more than a decade ago. This was around 2011. Oh, I nice. want to say so, or maybe cool. even earlier. Yeah. 20 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's blow it up. All right. Mm-hmm. So do you have any other quick notes? No. No nah, quick cuts. That's it. That's it. Okay. That's me. it. All right. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a roll leading up right, to our um I yeah. wanna say this is one of my favorite like um phrases in in cinema movie theater speak. Uh the main attraction. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love that term, main attraction. So leading yes. up to our main attraction, I'm gonna go on a bit of a roll. So Okay. Uh, surprisingly, though, it's about TV. So um, I don't know if you heard that um, Louis Anderson passed away recently. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. R.I.P. Louis Anderson. So um, it made me go back and uh, uh, watch Baskets, which I'd never seen. Do you know that show with Zach Galifianakis? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, it was a show, I guess, that came out around 2015, 2016. Um, and it's about a guy who, who's from Bakersfield and he aspires to be a clown. <laughs> and he's like trained in, in France in, in fla- clown school. Um, and it was it was just basically this time, it was like the spawn of, of Louis C.K. Of like basically when Louis C.K. had that show on FX... Um, uh, it spawned several shows. So like one of them was Baskets and um, the other one was Better Things with Pamela Adlon. And right. um, and then, you know, indirectly, it also kind of inspired uh, Donald Glover's Atlanta. Like, I don't think Atlanta would exist without Louis C.K.'s show. And obviously the show also became a victim of uh, almost getting canceled because of Louis C.K.'s, um, you know, uh, alleged misconduct uh yeah, so sure. but yeah but not to take away from the show though because louis ck's um involvement in that show is just basically he was like a an executive producer right. he's not in the show he doesn't write it you know um mm-hmm. it's really zach galifianakis and um the director uh jonathan uh Chrisel? i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing his last name mm-hmm. or chrysal um i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing his last name correctly but um he's also he directed most of the episodes of Portlandia, which is another show that I really enjoy. And, you know, he creates this like kind of really low key uh, laid back vibe that I enjoy. And, you know, obviously his his comic timing is perfect. And uh, the thing with Baskets is, is it's just actually the pervading mood to me is just it's a really sad show, you know, <laughs> like um, the song that I actually I think about associating with that show is um the radiohead song let down have you heard of that song mm. yeah it's oh. on um yeah it's one of my favorite songs from okay computer uh and that's what <laughs> you think about it's just a really sad show but it's also really funny and it's a very human show you know it's all about like mm. um being uh it's unlike um i guess another hit show recently like ted lasso which you know um right. in the second season i haven't finished it actually but i'm i'm starting to see the cracks in the show compared to the first season of, of Ted mm-hmm. Lasso. But, you know, the the whole thing about, like, 
it's just rare to see in a show like people just being kind and considerate to each other you know um i think it, it's presented in a more balanced way in in baskets and um and obviously like uh, louis anderson man her uh, his performance as the mom so he, he's he's playing he's playing a female uh, as a uh, zach galifianakis's mom uh christine baskets and apparently it's inspired by his own mom uh, so, and she's a big fan of Costco, and Costco is like a big part of the show. Like, I almost feel like they're they're a sponsor of the show. <laughs> it's really so funny, awesome. and yeah. And the other crazy thing too is, I guess you know, living here, uh, it's set in Bakersfield, but they obviously shoot it near where I live. Like, it's not in Orange right. County, but it's like in in the part of LA that borders uh, Orange County. So it's like. Um, Lakewood, um, around um, I want to say Santa Fe Springs, like it's it. I recognize those areas. I'm like, no, this isn't Bakersfield. This is this is shot yeah. in L.A. and it's specifically that Lakewood Costco. I, I recognize it. Yeah. Like that's yeah, that's unmistakably <laughs> that Costco. Um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, and Louis Anderson really shines in the second season. Like, yeah, I've been going through it. I'm now actually in the third season of the show it's only like 10 episodes per um per season and yeah louis anderson's performance is just incredible and also the other thing that was surprising in the second season was that um uh there's two really shocking deaths not to spoil it or anything because i won't say who (laughs) dies but like it's amazing because they're they're both really sudden and uh one is is like uh you know really devastating and then the other one is kind of funny <laughs> like i found myself <laughs> laughing at the other yeah. death and it was just like wow like i i didn't expect the show to go that way so yeah if you guys are interested in like kind of melancholy comedy like baskets is is worth uh seeking out oh yeah and i also wanted to shout out the andrew bird score in the first season uh i he in the se- in the subsequent seasons, um, I think Joshua Mosier Mosier uh, takes over. I'm murdering his last name right now, Moshier. I don't know how to pronounce it, but Mosier. he takes Mosier. over. But he yeah. Mosier, yeah, because um, it has an I that confuses me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, yeah, he carries over the themes of of Andrew Bird's score that you know, like he he lays the foundation for in the first season, and it's a really wonderful score. Um, so yeah, that's great too. Um, good. All right. Well, it's and just that, re- kind of, that that kind of reminds me that there. That I just want to throw in real quick. There is this one show I've been starting mm-hmm. to watch on Peacock. That's so crazy. I didn't okay. even know it existed. And so I just want to shout it mm-hmm. out in case because I don't think a lot. It's it's not a lot of people have, are, are watching it or know about it. There's an animated mm-hmm. show called Camp WWE. It's a basically. <laughs> oh it's, really? It's like. It's like the robot chicken guys. I think it's like Seth Green and his crew. But um oh, I love robot it's, chicken. It's it's essentially it's like South Park but set in a summer camp and it's the WWE universe. So <laughs> Vince McMahon is like the camp counselor with like Triple oh, wow. H and Stephanie McMahon and then like the kids are like kid versions of the mm-hmm. Undertaker and kid versions of of St- uh, Stone <laughs> the Cold. Rock. <laughs> Yeah, The Rock is a kid. Oh, wow. And so it's just, 
it's it's in I can't tell if it's good. It's definitely insane uh-huh. though. And so it's definitely right. worth checking out if you have Peacock. It's called Camp WWE. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Is it yeah, like stop motion or just regular animation? No, it's just regular animation. It... it looks up it, oh, okay. but it has a a South Park kind of irreverence. Mm-hmm. But it's like mm-hmm. regular animation and just Vince McMahon's character okay. is yeah, as insane as he is in real life. So yeah. Okay. Sounds good. And I'm I'm sure, you know, considering, you know, WWE is like very protective of its uh identity, it, it was done with his blessing, you know. Oh so, yeah, it's done with their blessing yeah. and their voices. Like Vince does the voice of Vince and I think Oh um, wow. Okay. And um and a couple of the other oh uh, Rick Flair I think does the voice of Rick Flair. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right, I'll have to check that out. All right. So, um, okay. My next quick cut, it actually relates to, um, a recent kind of, uh, uh, Twitter debate, I guess, uh, somebody had a hot take. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to ask you, Steve. So how do you feel relating to TV shows or series now? We can't call them shows anymore. Uh, (laughs) um, how do you feel about weekly versus binge? Ooh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Where do you stand I, on that? I, I, if I if I had to pick one, it would be binge. But okay, I will say that f- watching Breaking Bad and watching mm-hmm. um, Game of Thrones and uh, you know these kinds of shows where it was like you had to wait a week, it gave you right. so much time to overanalyze it, to think about it. It's almost like the mm-hmm. anticipation of the, the Super Bowl every week. Right. Every, you know, like, you know, <laughs> if you're a football fan, you're you're yeah. thinking about, oh, yeah, how will the Rams defense do against the Bengals offense? Mm-hmm. Like, you start thinking about that right. all week uh, until, and then the game finally happens. And so with Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad, you, you mm-hmm. we all kind of got that. Whereas if you had to binge it, especially Breaking Bad, I imagine right. you can only get a couple episodes through before you had to throw up because it's just like so intense. Right. You know? Yeah. Whereas like, right. But, but, but like a show like Lost was way better mm-hmm. to binge than to wait a week. Yeah, for like, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. like it was the most frustrating show to watch live because every commercial mm-hmm. break was a cliffhanger and every, every episode ended with a cliffhanger. And so you just want to binge it, just get mm-hmm. get through it. You know sure. What I mean? So that's kind of yeah, where sure. I'm at. If I had to pick one, I'd say binge. Okay, that's funny because yeah. um yeah well two things you've you've touched upon one I'll just really quickly with Lost I've been actually thinking of going back to Lost because I probably watched it until the third season and then I kind of just dropped off and then I, I guess yeah. it was like with this kind of earmarking it because um. I guess I caught up to the show where it was now like weekly again. Yeah. Uh, so I I caught up on it with DVD and I binged it. You know? <laughs> and yeah. um, once it started to be weekly, I was like, ah, just wait until, you know, it uh, comes back. This was way before streaming as well. Yeah. So uh, I never did, but I, I kind of want to come back to it. And then the other thing with the, the football analogy, with the Super Bowl analogy, this is something actually JR told me that you guys... Um, did like kind of a fantasy football thing with with Game of Thrones, but instead of like scores, it's like deaths, like who survives. Yeah, 
the seasons? Yeah, we found a website that would have a fantasy league where you can draft a team. Mm-hmm. So I think okay. on my team I had like I had um you know like the hound and I maybe even had Jon Snow. <laughs> Malika had Oh um, shit. Um who was the queen? The uh the uh dragon lady. Uh, uh Daenerys? Daenerys, yeah. Daenerys. So yeah. And so, Danny. yeah, exactly. And so, and then, and then, um, so anyway, so you get to draft a team, and then based on what mm-hmm. they do in the episode, you get points. And so, like when oh. Daenerys and her and, and her dragon like burned all those guys, Malika like blew up. You know, <laughs> yeah, she got so many points. <laughs> oh wow, that's wild. And yeah, that's something to look forward to every week compared to yeah, yeah exactly. binging it. Um, and um, I will just say, like, the tweet in question, uh, I can't remember. Mm. I, I'm not going to quote it verbatim. I just have, like, the general gist of it, of what this person yeah. was trying to allude to. And it was this whole thing of, like, oh, like, uh, HBO shows are, are doing it right. Because, you know, they, it, it used the example mm. of uh, Peacemaker. And then I think it also mentioned uh, Disney+, Plus, but I don't know if it was referring to book of boba fett or just disney plus in general that um you know they release episodes weekly compared to basically the netflix model which is binge and um how you know like um ozark season four part one was just dropped all in one go and yeah their their justification is like the nobody talks about it anymore because it was already dropped in in one go and um uh whereas these other shows there's a continuing conversation because it's being done weekly and right. i can see that perspective but at the same time like as a person who rarely watches shows as they're they're coming on uh <laughs> i tend to just yeah. wait for shows to be over and then catch up to it um yeah. so yeah i'm i'm like completely out of the loop you know i mean i i do have you know uh a passive presence on Twitter, but like when they're talking about shows and I mean, this is an amazing feature on Twitter now too, that you can, you can block words. (laughs) So (laughs) you'll never like, I remember, uh, I think, yeah, during the matrix, like I blocked the matrix. So I wouldn't hear any, anything about the matrix, you know? Um, Yeah. yeah. So you can do that with TV shows. And the thing that bothers me about the weekly model, because it is like so archaic, like, you know, there was a reason yeah. why, you know, it had a time slot on a TV channel and you had to wait. And then, you know, it also mm-hmm. came with commercials. So it was like, man, like you, you really had to wait. And, you know, there's this thing about instant gratification versus like, you know, um, being rewarded for being patient. Um, but I feel like the, what it kind of implied to me more is that, uh, this whole thing of uh, people aren't capable of of discipline <laughs> and basically right. just like waiting or like taking as much as they can uh, that they feel satisfied with and then moving on because that's what I would do. So I, I, I tend to binge but in chunks, you know, like just oh, like baskets. Okay, yeah. Like, you know, it's like maybe I'll watch two at a time. But then, you know, that's it. Like, that's it for the day. And then yeah. I continue. So, you know, it, it, there's there's ways of going right. about it. It's not like you should just consume, you know, more and more. Right. Because, um, yeah, I do get frustrated by by cliffhangers. Like, because I just know that that's really it. It's like, it's just trying to string you along. And, and this is one of the main problems with, like, TV versus movies. Like, that debate that keeps going is that, you know, 
a lot of shows have like an order of uh, how many episodes they're supposed to deliver. And then you end up with shows that have a lot of episodes that are just filler because it's like they have to fill 10 episodes or they have to have eight episodes when sometimes like some shows work as like five episodes, you know, <laughs> like you could have fit that all in one. And then I hate this kind of trope of there's a there's an episode where it goes back and like has like a flashback, especially when the show is getting good. Like it suddenly like slows everything down and like continues uh, like it goes on a digression to a, some sort of other plot when you just want it to continue and it ruins yeah. the momentum of the show. And, you know, sometimes I even skip those like obligatory episodes like it's it's happening. Yeah. Like I just see it happening with a lot of shows these days. Um, so yeah, for me, I definitely, um, I'm an advocate of disciplined binge. Yeah. Uh, and okay, yeah, and so this binge, goes into but you don't have to be a completist, yeah, yeah, like uh, don't watch the entire show over a weekend, you know, unless the show a lot, you know, allows itself to do that. And that's why, you know, my my final uh quick cut, uh, I think this is our longest quick cut. <laughs> section yet before even getting into our <laughs> our main attraction but it's gonna lead into that is a, a show that yeah that we you actually can't binge like it's it's a show that's impossible to binge like i don't know anyone who could binge this show um and it's the the show on amazon called uh too young um too old to die young i always mix that up okay um so too old to die young is a is a i guess it's nine episodes long um, with varying running times. Uh, it's a show by Nicholas Winding Refn. And we're not going to go too deep into it. Um, actually, I suggest I refer people if you want to like yeah. hear a, a discussion about the show uh, to listen to the episode that the Zebras in America did on it because they really go into it and it's great. Yeah, so the, the episodes of the show like vary in, in different lengths. Like they can be you know, an hour and a half, a little over an hour. And then like as some sort of cosmic joke, like the, the final episode is half an hour long. Um, so <laughs> yeah. That. And yeah. And if you're familiar with like Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, movies, it is like the same pace of his movies. And just, yeah, it, it is. It also feels like one really long movie. And I mean, I'm a big fan of um of shows that, basically have one kind of uh, guiding like author, you know, so this is one of them. And I'm amazed that Amazon let him make the show that he wanted to make, you know, <laughs> um, it, it, and I, I, I don't think Amazon knew what to do with it, but it's there now it's on their platform, you know, um, I will say for people like who are trying to find a way into it and are not familiar with with Nicholas Winding Refn's films, but I'm sure a lot of people have seen Drive. You've seen Drive, right? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So Drive is probably his most accessible film. Uh, but yeah, this is this is this can be rough going, especially the second episode of the show is really hard to watch um, because it's just hard to watch in the sense that uh, of the pacing and just, oh uh, man. But um, uh. Speaking of hard to watch, though, actually the the fifth episode, which is called "The Fool," all the episodes are actually titled after um, tarot cards. Oh, cool. Is it was actually presented as a movie at the Cannes Film Festival, and it, yeah, it works as a standalone episode. So, 
I think for people who are curious about the show, I would say watch that episode first and then go back. Okay. Uh, so if 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 episode five compels you enough, it is the best episode of the entire series. So um, if that compels you, then go back and and watch the show. Um, but yeah, also episode five is very hard to watch too. In in a in a different way, it's like a very uncomfortable, especially the opening scene. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, watch at your own risk. Like all the warnings that Amazon gives you at the beginning of the show, they yeah. they're justified. So. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. So, um, the, and the reason why like this is a good segue into our main attraction today, oh, baby, is because um, the soundtrack is by Cliff Martinez, who is a frequent collaborator of Steven Soderbergh. Oh. Yeah, I see his name on the credits of the this this movie that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and um, the thing is, like, I think his soundtrack for "Too Old to Die Young" is one of his best works. Uh, yeah, I I love the soundtrack so much. I bought it on vinyl, um, and it's incredible. Uh, and you know, uh, Cliff Martinez is also just an interesting guy. You know, he used to be the drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, and then really? he just kind of got in. Yeah. <laughs> Before um, oh. who's who's Before, the current drummer? Chad Smith. Chad Smith. Yeah. Yeah, he was the drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers wow, for like a I minute. I did not know that. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, yeah, he just became this uh, uh this amazing composer, and he's he's collaborated uh, Nicholas Winding Refn a lot too. I mean, he did the soundtrack for um for Drive, and um for two uh no, what was that movie? The follow up that everybody hates. Uh, Only God forgives. So, yes, but uh, he really got his start with Steven Soderbergh. And yeah, we're going to get into it. So um, there was a new Steven Soderbergh movie that came out uh, earlier this month um, on HBO Max. And it's called Kimmy. Yes. So, Kimmy, Kimmy, Kimmy. Kimmy. Yeah. (laughs) So you want to talk about Kimmy, Steve? Like, how did you feel about the movie? Um. Yeah, let's yeah let's get into general thoughts and then we'll kind of get into mm-hmm. it a little more details if if we want. Sure. Um, so my my just general thought, um, I found it to be like the opposite of Patterson. So okay, Patterson was like, I feel like the message they were or that Jarmusch was hammering was you know a little bit more on the line of. You can live a happy, easygoing life with low technology, and you know, like you, you don't, you <laughs> don't right. need a smartphone. You can just have a job and just get into your creative projects and walk around and have mm-hmm. your friends. And I felt like Kimmy was a little more of this is the what the world could, can be like with Uber technology. Ooh, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, sh- she's texting the guy across the street. She's zooming with mm-hmm. you know everyone at, at her work. Um, yeah. She and then of course her. This job is within is, the context of of the pandemic, by the way, too. So yeah, it, it's yeah. it's current. It's yeah. current. And then yeah, and then you know her mm-hmm. job is to kind of r- go over audio files from kind of like an Alexa type of device right. called a, a Kimmy. Um, mm-hmm. And that and that ultimately it leads into this world of like as of of you know. Um, murder and uh mm-hmm. secrets and hitmen and all this yeah. kind of you know and and sort of corporate like corporate corruption corporate corruption and you're right yeah. to be afraid 
is was 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 kind of paranoia yeah paranoia and i was like man i I just want to live in the patterson universe i'm just like everything's (laughs) chilling you know turn off your technology just unplug that's it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean it it is it it is fascinating to me because it, it immediately brought to mind that um one of the jokes early on in the pandemic which was that you know the lockdown was great for introverts because it was like oh you're gonna stay home and all these things and like meanwhile introverts yeah like that's my life already and that's what it kind of uh portrays in the movie is that she she i guess she's agoraphobic um she doesn't like to go outside and that's part of the reason why um she doesn't really meet up with this guy from across the way, but mm-hmm. he sometimes comes over and, you know, they have sex and like, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, it, it, she most of the, of the movie takes place in her apartment. And I don't know if you've ever seen um, like the conversation or like uh blowout these movies. Cause uh, this is clearly what the, uh, Steven Soderbergh is is um, kind of um, uh, paying tribute to with this movie and also uh, Rear Window. So it's like this idea that you are witness to this crime, but you're not quite sure uh, whether it actually happened, you know, um, and the conversation and and blowout in particular that uh, it, that's this thing. It's like they hear the sound, which sounds like a murder but they're not quite sure. And then it's like them repeatedly going over that sound, like rewinding it and then cleaning up the audio until like they can actually hear the, the words um, being said. And both of those films are great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like with Steven Soderbergh, uh, when he makes a movie, you feel like you're in capable hands. Uh, and uh, in terms of his like filmography, which we can go over, um, I think he hits more than he misses, but sometimes he does miss, you know, (laughs) that's really the thing. Um, so I would say that this movie, uh, it's probably like more in the middling category, like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's also nice and short, which is good. It's only like an hour and a half, uh which I think it was cut down from originally it was supposed to be two hours because that was what the runtime on IMDb was, uh, which was strange. And then all of a sudden when it came out, it was only a a little over an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I liked seeing uh, how he used the location of Seattle as well. And, you know, Zoe Kravitz was very good. And uh, it it made me hyped to see her, uh, which is now coming out next week, which is crazy, the Batman. So... Uh, but yeah, overall, it's it's just another okay Steven Soderbergh movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's nothing great, but it's it's not bad either. Um, yeah. Um, so I have a couple questions I want to ask. Yeah. What, go did, ahead. what did you What did you think of that kind of set piece where she puts the kombucha down on the the counter, mm-hmm. and then the camera kind of focuses on it slightly, and then mm-hmm. she goes, I think and plays on her computer or she does something. I, 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 I Oh exactly. yeah. 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 But yeah. Some, I know what you're talking I, about. I, I think, I think it's some, there's a dramatic part where she, she realizes it's either she, she realizes something mm-hmm. and then she gets a phone call, I think. And then the kombucha shatters. You yeah. Know, like th- there's a big hit. 
I guess, mm-hmm. d- well, yeah, just what are your general thoughts on like the exe- <laughs> the execution of that? Because I found that t- to be a, a, I like I, I felt like Soderbergh would have handled that better. Or mm-hmm. I don't know. I found it to I found it to be obvious and like, um, uh, what's what's the word? A little cheap, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was it was clearly telegraphed because the way she lays it down, it's gonna fall. You can see by the way she um she puts it like precariously on the edge, and you know um just considering. Uh, what her mind was going through at that time. It, it's possible she was distracted, so she wasn't really paying attention. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it was just like a predictable thing that was going to happen. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah, you you expect that to drop. Like, I would have been more surprised if it didn't drop. Like, it remained on that edge, and then you would have right. more tension. You know, and I guess, yeah, that's my main issue with the movie, too. As a thriller, I did not feel that much tension. And Knowing Steven Soderbergh, he can do tension very well. You know, he's he's done some incredible thrillers in the past. So with this one, I mean, you know, I guess we should get into him as a filmmaker. So uh, one of the things about Steven Soderbergh is that he often directs using other people's scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he wrote his first movie, uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. But um, other than that, like usually... Uh, his scripts are written by other screenwriters and that kind of indicates to you whether the movie will be good or not, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, based on the screenwriter. And I, I think also depending on his inspiration and um, yeah, if you want to get into it, how familiar are you with um with Steven Soderbergh's previous movies? I, w- I would say I'm familiar with about half of them and of okay. the half that, that, that I'm familiar with, I'm like pretty well, familiar with half of those <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what i mean so okay. like for instance sure. so for instance like for instance like sex lies mm-hmm. my memory of that is my parents renting it making right. it very very clear that this is an adult movie <laughs> we you th- this is just for mom for daddy and i to watch mm-hmm. or whatever and then mm-hmm. me like seeing a scene where there's a naked guy lying on a bed and there's like a plant covering his junk <laughs> in in the window frame or something and like that being like ooh, what's yeah, this yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like was it on yeah. videotape did they rent it on videotape it, it was a it was a vhs yes. yeah uh, yeah same here like i saw it on videotape yeah. yeah and it's like yeah and and so i i i've seen it in chunks I, i've never actually mm-hmm. seen it the whole way through but just the vibe is you know it, it's a to, to me it's just a classic james spader Mm-hmm. Where Spader's yeah, just mean, this this horned up guy doing <laughs> horned up things, and that's that's the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's really where it started. But it's funny because my first encounter with James Spader was Stargate. Oh, so, yeah. like, uh, to me, it was just kind of like, uh, man, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. I also first saw it on on VHS and. Yeah. Uh, I think I didn't. I was still too young to understand it. I was, I guess, in my mm-hmm. late teens when I saw it. But you know, it yeah. really is. It's not just adult in terms of like what it shows. I mean, it's not actually. It's not even that explicit. It's more no. what is discussed in the movie. And yeah, it would be interesting to go back because I didn't even understand the whole thing with James Spader, like saying that he's impotent. But he, like, he said that. Like, oh, I'm only. I guess you know, I'm not able to you know become erect like in the presence of other people 
And I realized like, oh, so he's watching these interviews because, you know, it's not portrayed in a yeah. way that's like he's just like kind it's of lazy. touching himself. Yeah. So right. it's like you don't realize that, oh, he actually pleasures himself watching these these um, interviews. Videotapes, yeah. 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 And I didn't get that when I first saw yeah. it. Like I was yeah. just like, oh, OK, so he just watches these tapes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, OK, um, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, which is funny because, um, yeah, I guess masturbation is a thing that the that Soderbergh does return to in a later oh, yeah. movie. Um, I, I but, saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's crazy because that that movie, like, it hardly anybody talks about it anymore. I feel, but it was mm-hmm. like a big deal when it came out uh, yeah. in 1989 because, um, for one thing, Steven Soderbergh was like the youngest uh, director to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival with this film. So he was like, yeah, and it is just amazing to track the trajectory of his career. So, um, you know, he was hot shit and he basically yeah. could make any movie he wanted at 26, you know, and I think he was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I mean, I'm not positive, but definitely like uh, and <laughs> he follows it up with this like black and white uh, biopic of Kafka with Jeremy yeah. Irons, and this movie is still really hard to find, by the way. Like, I, I think uh, the only copies that exist are either from a VHS tape or like it was recorded off TV, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it's weird that you know, uh, considering how ubiquitous S- Steven Soderbergh is, that this he still has a movie that's like hard to find. And yeah, it was just a weird thing where he kind of disappeared. Uh, well, you know, it's like this thing yeah. of uh, you go into the wilderness. He was still actively making films, but nobody cared about them. Like King of the Hill, people ignored, which I've heard is is a good movie. And then he kind of reached like a really low point with the underneath, which is also very good. I actually like the underneath a lot. And it, it that's a, actually an effective thriller. And um yeah, and he got to this point where he basically made uh, this movie where he he had nothing to lose, you know. So um, this movie is uh, called Schizopolis. Mm-hmm. Were you able to see it? I did. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So what did you think of Schizopolis? Oh my god, <laughs> I I I found it very difficult. I had a hard time with having the patience gotcha. with it. Sure. Because it, it takes a certain level of like, you have to just accept, you know what? I'm in. I'm just going to watch this and just, <laughs> it's tough. It's like, you know, it's schizophrenic at times, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, the, the point of view is changing. Mm-hmm. Multiple people are playing multiple characters. Yes. Doppel, doppelgangers, the whole mm-hmm. thing. Right. And, there, there's... and it's just, it's like, it's just, um, it's, you're just kind of left with, all right, what, what am I supposed to focus on now? <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, and I love the opening where he basically goes on stage and kind mm-hmm. of has a, a little speech, a preamble before the movie, mm-hmm. where he um he basically says, um, if you don't get this movie, uh, that's your fault. Yeah, and <laughs> it's your job to like uh go back and watch the movie until you get it, and uh, yeah. you can't, you shouldn't pay the bargain price, uh, cut price matinee. Like you should pay full price for the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really funny opening, and uh, you know it. It really shows that I because I mean there's some funny moments in in Sex Lies and Videotape, but this is an out and out like absurdist mm-hmm. comedy. 
but it's funny that it, it it stems from kind of a dark place, you know. Um, uh, and when I first saw it, I enjoyed it a lot, but purely because I just thought like, oh man, this like nonsense and this kind of uh, just kind of a burst of creativity. Yeah, I really loved. And you know, he just basically let go of everything. So he, I think he funded this with his own money. Um, uh, he shot it himself. Uh, you know, his first time being his own cinematographer. And um, yeah, he he apparently didn't even have a script. Like it was, oh, it wow. was. Um, he would uh, kind of improvise and come up with ideas on the spot. And then just shoot it, you know. Um, and the film feels like that. It's like a film yeah. made on the run. He went back to um, his hometown of Baton Rouge in Louisiana, and that's that's actually one of the refreshing things about the movie. Like the places don't look like um, places I've seen before in movies, you know. I don't because yeah, obviously, Sex Life and Videotape was also shot in Baton Rouge. Um, so uh, yeah, I was just. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it initially when I saw it for the absurdity and just the nonsense yeah. and the creativity. But uh, watching it again recently for, you know, for this episode, I, I started to see like the connecting threads to it and what it was oh. really about, you know, um, which I had an idea of before. And it, it's a very telling thing. So the woman that he's involved with, who he's married to and has an affair with, which will right. make more sense when you see the movie, is his ex-wife um, in real life, uh, Betsy Brantley. Okay. So his marriage had fallen apart. And this was his way, uh, with I think, in combination with, you know, his career kind of being what it was, like, uh, you know, how he started off so hot and then kind of just, you know, became forgotten like it was him dealing with this and the movie really is about like a breakdown of communication. Um, that's why I started the show with generic greeting. Cause that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when <laughs> <laughs> they're talking to each other, like a generic greeting, yeah. like um, uh, it's just like completely out of remove. And you know, that's how a couple's conversation becomes, you know, when you're, you're totally distant from you're each other. Or, it, yeah. yeah. And then it, it, it there's like an escalation because it evolves. Like eventually what happens is he starts speaking dubbed Japanese <laughs> and she still understands him, but like, yeah. The, uh, oh, just like a little funny, like bit of trivia too. Um, And I only remembered it when I watched it this time around. You remember when we made um those, those short films with Malika um, oh, called yeah. stop the lists. So um yeah, uh, just to give context to people who don't know, um, I was part of this forum on uh, a site that's now called uh, Mubi, but it used to be called The Auteurs. And it was a great community. Like I met some really interesting people from there and learned a lot of things. And, and one of the ongoing threads that we had there was this thing called Stop the Lists. And <laughs> the reason why that was the name of the thread was because it was somebody complaining about um, how people were just basically posting lists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's uh, ironically, that's the thing that survived on the movie website. You still have lists on the website, uh, but the forum has been closed. Um, but yeah, it, it became a joke. Like people were just like riffing on this idea of like stop the lists. And then, you know, it just kind of became like the chat room of the website. And somebody suggested that, you know, somebody should make a, a short film of like the postings because a lot of people would be sharing like stories 
and stuff. And I I took that to heart, and I was like, yeah, let's let's make a a series of of like shorts based on people's forum posts. <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, like just relating to that, you know, there was this uh, movie that came out I think last year called uh, Zola, which was based on a Twitter thread. <laughs> Like it's a movie that was based on a Twitter thread. So yeah, so this was like, yeah, way back then. I think this was like maybe 2009, 2010. Oh yeah. 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 When we did this and um, I realized like there is a part where I I took um, some dialogue from Naruto and dubbed Mm -hmm. that episode. And that's not exactly what you guys are saying. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. But like I dubbed that, that short piece with you guys speaking dialogue from Naruto. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah, and that was inspired by Schizopolis. And then also um, uh, this weird video that doesn't exist anymore on, on YouTube called Japanese Cheese. And it was like from this uh, cartoon on Cartoon Network where this character named Cheese, oh man, I'm blanking on what cartoon he was from, but he was dubbed with Naruto dialogue. And I was like, man, I got to do this. So <laughs> that's yeah. what I did with the short film. Um, and then I realized, oh, man, Schizopolis was like such a big influence on this. I didn't even wow. realize you know, I, for- I forgot about it. Um, yeah, I think I feel like that's a big appeal of Schizopolis mm-hmm. is, oh, man, this is it's it's you know, it's it's hard to watch it without watching Soderbergh, mm-hmm. just the Soderbergh of it all. Just like, yeah, man. Here's this guy who had it all. It mm-hmm. is currently in a period where he's being a true just auteur and mm-hmm. you know and just pushing it and just doing whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. But little does he know in 5 years he's he's going to start ripping off Oscars and like <laughs> uh and, right. and and you know and 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 be fully back and be fully yeah. considered at that whatever that level is yeah and i mean that's why i think this is such a pivotal film in his filmography because Mm. um of that of just like he completely let go he was he put himself out there you know he's he's playing the lead in the movie and he's playing two roles like he's playing the guy who's married to this woman whose marriage is falling apart but he's also playing the guy that his wife is having an affair with (laughs) Yeah, which is hilarious, you know, and also the the character names, by the way, like his character's name is uh, Fletcher Munson, like yeah. so many great character names. Uh, the nameless numberhead guy <laughs> is also another great character name. Yeah. And then, who, who, yeah, who was the cleaner guy? Elmo? Uh, yeah, Elmo uh, Oxygen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he speaks in this coded language of like nose that- army. <laughs> that was bizarre was watching elmo interact with all the women and just yeah. trying to like okay i get what's happening but am i supposed to understand what they're saying yeah i don't think i'm supposed to understand yeah. well yeah it's that again it's that the use of language and the breakdown of communication it's like these people are spouting nonsense yet they understand each other right you know versus yeah. like his relationship with his wife and that's the surprising thing that I forgot about the movie is like how it all comes together at the end. Like I didn't realize, I, I just thought like it kind of, you know, peters out or something, but I didn't know that it had like an actual climax where that involves all the characters, you know? Um, yeah. And- oh yeah. And, and then they, they end up at like, 
sort of that it's almost like a Scientology. I guess oh, it, it is, is like a Scientology it, it, yeah. style cult. <laughs> the cover thing. is like a riff on Dianetics, and I mean, you know, they yeah. call it eventualism. And then the fact that his name yeah. is like initial, then two names, like you know, L. Ron Hubbard. His name is a T. Asmuth Schwithers, which is an amazing yeah. name. <laughs> and the the funniest thing about it is like the what he's spouting like in terms of his uh his mm-hmm. beliefs and his doctrine like actually makes a lot of sense <laughs> right like it's sure. a lot of common sense shit and it's like yeah. he's it's just worded in a way kind of like pre-internet like uh shit posting kind exactly. of exactly um but yeah i i loved it like it's great and um yeah, it's worth even watching. Um, if if people have uh, the Criterion channel or they have the Criterion DVD, uh, it has a commentary with Steven Soderbergh interviewing himself, <laughs> and it's amazing. Like it starts off with like, oh, so um, you know, uh, you're portraying yourself as a an office worker, uh, but you've never actually worked in an office, and then he responds to himself by saying, yeah, well, I've also portrayed. Uh, people getting murdered in my movies, but I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it's like completely deadpan and serious, like the way that he does it. And yeah, it's just amazing. And I, I think also why this movie resonates with me even more now is because um, when I first saw it, I I hadn't really had much um, experience in relationships. So I didn't even know what that looked like, the the, the whole breakdown of a relationship. But now that yeah. I know, it's like you get to that point sometimes with people and, you know, it just there's no coming back from it. And then the fact that, yeah, I never had worked in an office the first time I saw it. And now that I know, I understand yeah. the whole thing of like, you know, why is he like looking at his watch while he's masturbating? Right. <laughs> I realized, yeah. oh, he has a break time and he has to get it done before his break is over. Um, which I I didn't understand until I had an office job. It's like, yeah, God forbid you steal time from the company, right? You know, by taking yeah. too long of a break. <laughs> yeah, that resonated with just like how boring that <laughs> office job looked, and like how you you kind of live to talk to someone. You live for someone to come over and just kind of like shoot the shit with you for a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And he he captured that so well. I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah. For somebody who's never worked in an office, like you, you definitely understand it. Um. So you know, Schizopolis being as unique as it is, you know, um, I was wondering, Steve, if you you could characterize what mm. a Steven mm. Soderbergh movie is. <laughs> oh, what do God. you think are, yeah, his um, hallmarks? All right, hold on. I have to th- think about like, you know, <laughs> the big ones, okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's Kimmy, and then there's uh, Sex Lies. I would say, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's it's um quirky or like interesting character characters mm-hmm. in a in a you know. So maybe the characters aren't quite um normal like like mm-hmm. you know like there's something heightened about them but they're in a normal right. environment yeah and uh, i think he often like portrays that through humor you know like there's always like kind of a a comedic edge to his films but it you know it's uh it's measured um probably not so much in kimmy but uh definitely um in the other films and i mean you know um uh 
the movie that he basically followed up Schizopolis with was um, out of sight, mm-hmm. you know, and that was like kind of a one of many rebirths he's had <laughs> over his career. Totally. Uh, but yeah, I think that is definitely a big one in the sense that it, it turned George Clooney into a star and, you know, um, he was back in it, you know, and I think also this was um. This was one of the few movies that Cliff Martinez didn't do the soundtrack to. Um, uh, it was done by David Holmes, and it's a fantastic soundtrack. Like it, it's a really great, like kind of a breakbeat, mm-hmm. hip hoppy score, um, and it, it fits the style of the movie because it, it, it kind of has this light, breezy approach and to editing, and like he he was clearly inspired a little bit by one of my favorite filmmakers, Nicholas Rogue, mm-hmm. in terms of um you know jumping back and forth in time, and he kind of does that again in the next movie, and I think that is one of the unifying things because um uh, I just want to dial it back a little bit, but in terms of you know the auteur theory, that's what it it entails is like you're able to recognize a director by their signature you know their hallmarks and it it often is uh like uh visual and with Soderbergh you can't quite determine that because the thing is he's always actually trying something different you know um and that's one of the things I admire that he he really wants to innovate um but sometimes it kind of descends into gimmickry you know um but uh but yeah with with out of sight everything just fell into place like everything clicked in that movie you know um and uh it was coming off um like the heels of uh tarantino's jackie brown and there's even like a a tie-in with that because they're both uh elmer leonard adaptations and um yeah it was just so well done um and yeah he was back again (laughs) (laughs) and then true yeah true to soderbergh form he follows it up with like a really like low-key thriller <laughs> that's also fractured time it's probably his most fractured in terms of like um the way it handles time and it's my favorite film of his the limey this one uh, I don't i've know if... never seen but i'm just looking mm-hmm. at the cast list leslie ann warren is in this yes yeah just, exactly it covered... ties into clue yeah yeah and this was the first time I saw her. So when I saw Clue again, I was like, oh, that's her. So I recognized yeah. her from the limey, <laughs> not the other way around. Yeah, and funny. she's fantastic in um in um the limey. Like the limey is, is very much influenced by two movies that I love from the 60s, uh Petulia and Point Blank. Mm-hmm. Uh to the point where basically like there's uh one of the most amazing things in Petulia is that characters are having like a continuous conversation but it's taking place over several locations and different scenes and obviously different time frames and that's just incredible and you know he utilizes um clips of a a younger Terrence Stamp when he was um uh in this movie called Poor Cow and ties it into the character and it's just brilliant wow. and then another great score by Cliff Martinez and this was actually the last film Steven Soderbergh made that he um, he used another cinematographer, the great Ed Lackman, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, he started shooting his own films. And this is where actually a lot of people kind of fall off with Soderbergh mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way, which sure. is ironic because it was his biggest film. Yeah. Or it, yeah, the next few films were just like Gigantic. massive hits. Yeah, huge. yeah, yeah. Um, but that's when he started becoming his own cinematographer. Um, and he used the he uses he's actually also his own editor and he uses these pseudonyms. So as a cinematographer, he uses Peter Andrews, oh. and then as his own editor, he uses um, Mary Ann Bernard. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, no yeah. Way. And I was wondering, I was like, where did he get these names from? And then I. And there, it isn't even, I don't I think, in like any trivia you can find. I just put two and two together and I saw that those were the names of his parents. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. so he named himself after his dad uh, as a cinematographer and then his mom as an editor. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously, like after the Limey, he made traffic, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Which, um, you know, won a bunch of Oscars and pretty much like, again, he was back in that um, uh, kind of light the, that he was in, in with the Sex, Lies and Videotape where he could pretty much make any movie he wants, you know, and get an all-star cast. Yep. And um, actually, was Traffic and Aaron Brockovich the same year? That's what it, it says. Was. Yeah. 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 Aaron, Aaron <laughs> so Brockovich was, crazy. was also in the year 2000. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That, yeah. What a year. And especially because of traffic, like, you know, this massive ensemble cast, he shoots in different locations. Like, how did he find the time to make Aaron Brockovich and, you know, (laughs) uh, in that time span? Uh, Wow. That's amazing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, I remember thinking I liked Aaron Brockovich more. I don't know. Mm. I think just the storyline, I think it's just, it's a little more straightforward. It's also mm-hmm. in, in a realm that I'm familiar with, with just like site assessment work and, um, oh. you know, finding contaminants and, and you know, mm. and, um, and that whole realm. But traffic, there's, you know, there's something really beautiful, you know, and, and it's like, you know, obviously everyone knows that, you know, how we kind of, kind of color coded each sort of um, storyline and. Yeah. And. Yeah. To make it easier to follow. To follow. Too. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's one of those things where it's like he maybe doesn't get to that point if he doesn't make something like Schizopolis or or make exactly. some of these really out there movies to kind of get all those ideas going to then, right. you know, okay, here's now a big budget movie. I don't want to mess it up, but how can I still bring some flavor in, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it might seem overly simplistic now, but I think at the time mm-hmm. it was like, man, yeah. th- this is awesome. Yeah. A lot of people, I think now kind of take uh, traffic for granted, but you know, I was, I was blown away by it when I first saw it. Um, I was just like, man, he just the fact that, yeah, in terms of scale, I just don't think he, he had made something that big, even though he's worked with mm-hmm. like, you know, um, stars before, but just the, the expansion yeah. of that movie is just incredible. And I mean, the characters, you know, going back to the, you know, like the quirks of the characters. I mean, that's one of the things about, I, I guess, another quality of, of Steven Soderbergh's films is that, you know, um, the characters are, are always like very like um, three dimensional and, mm-hmm. you know, um, they have all these backstories and yeah. uh, you can see it like show up in quirks. Like it's not necessarily um, 
like the the character explains their entire life story but you can tell like by certain things that they do mm-hmm. that it's like this person has lived a life you right. know and has gone to this point and um uh like you know my favorite example in traffic is actually um uh the the two partners um uh played by uh um uh, Don Cheadle and Luis Guzman yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic cuz it's like you know they're they're like sharing jokes and <laughs> before they do a bust you yeah. know that kind of shit it's like it's great yeah. and then yeah i think also this not good i was going to say yeah i love them and then also th- there's a scene i that always stands out to me it's like where michael douglas gets Topher grace out of class mm-hmm. and then they're in the car mm-hmm. and they're i think trying to find his daughter ultimately mm-hmm. right and, to- and Topher kind of g- goes on a little r- 30 second rant about mm-hmm. dr- selling drugs and what what it'd be like if if like black people were coming into the white neighborhoods to look for drugs oh, and, shit. And, yeah and, i forgot and, about and, that and about like the economics and just like mm-hmm. i don't know it's just like it's a really poignant scene and mm-hmm. but but then going back to what you're saying just about character it, it like it shows that Topher grace isn't just like this one dimensional Right, kid that just wants to get high or wants to do whatever or sell, mm-hmm. you know he's um he's thinking about it and um, ultimately every character has thought about some aspect mm-hmm. of this of the drug trade, you know essentially. Right, and so it's just yeah, it's yeah. like and, and it, it kind of just helps to paint the picture that everyone's a little, their motives are murky, but they're also right. thinking that they are they are thinking that they're not just robots, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you touched upon another thing that's uh, a hallmark of um, a Steven Soderbergh film is family relations. You know, of like, there's almost like a disconnect um, with um, with the kids and their parents. You know, that's often like something that he comes back to a lot in his films. And you know, obviously with that one with uh, Michael Douglas playing the drug czar and his daughter's a, a drug addict, yeah. and even that whole journey of him like. Um, having to go find her and she's like you know drugged out in this drug den you know with the dealer basically taking advantage of her you know um it's incredible and um uh i was just thinking too i mean you know we haven't even mentioned benicio del toro and his character and um you know the the way that he picks up that uh, that drug dealer uh frankie flowers like that whole sequence is just amazing and you know i mean I, that was the other thing i was thinking about like steven soderbergh directed this and aaron brokovich in the same year they were both up for oscars and they both won in the acting categories for two different movies you know that's he bizarre. won yeah yeah julia roberts an oscar and he won benicio del toro an oscar <laughs> you know for traffic that's crazy so yeah um but yeah, it was like he he could do no wrong, and I love that he followed it up with something just light and fun, but again with an all star cast, and that was uh, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, as far as a feel good, you know, heist movie, I feel like there hadn't, I feel like there hadn't been one done like that in in quite mm-hmm. some time. I think you know, ultimately, sure. Reservoir Dogs kind of like fl- flipped it on. on on its head or flip that mm-hmm. subgenre on its head. Right. But um I can't really remember a good heist movie in that period before mm-hmm. and we were just ready for something 
fun like that i remember as viewers and we did we just right. ate, ate it up yeah i mean because yeah mentioning reservoir dogs i mean it just spawned so many imitators you know there were there was like a heist movie like uh yeah just uh deluge mm-hmm. <laughs> just a flood of heist movies coming through and they were all like kind of dark and violent uh, whereas this one it was like you know it was snappily edited you know and surprising because like it does have a twist that i didn't see coming mm-hmm. you know um uh unfortunately though like there were two other sequels that just uh yeah it couldn't bring back that goodwill and i remember because uh that holiday season of 2001 like every movie i went to go see in the theater that uh holiday season was just great you know and like it was kind of banking on that goodwill because i you know obviously the first uh lord of the rings uh, fellowship of the ring and then um uh royal tenenbaums also came out around that time so i was just like every time i went to the movie theater it was a good time you know um that was a magical period yeah from like 99 to 01 there was like so many rumors so many good movies that were coming out yeah yeah and music too like that's the thing like i'm I'm going back on it because i mean last year you know it was the 20th anniversary for a lot of the 2001 Mm -hmm. movies and music so i i went back to it It was such a good year 99 was also a great year for movies and and music so yeah um all right so where does soderbergh go from here like um he makes uh, the star-studded movie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this one because it's kind of hard to find now, actually. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. It's uh, called Full Frontal. <laughs> no, I, I, I have not seen this one, no. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of been forgotten, but probably for good uh, <laughs> good reason. Yeah. Uh, I, I rewatched it for this episode, and it, yeah... It was just as forgettable as the first time I saw it, unfortunately. I mean, the the thing, I guess it still holds some sort of historical significance. I mean, it's a time capsule in a way because um, he got this gigantic uh, all-star cast and um, his budget was only $2 million, so everybody took a pay cut oh, wow. <laughs> for this movie. And he shot it. Yeah, he shot it all on digital. Well, most of it on digital video. There's oh. some segments that are on film and you know it ties to like what i was saying with jackass where it was this weird middle period where um movies were being shot digitally but then being converted into film so it creates this kind of ghostly look and you know i mean that that could have been interesting in itself but he doesn't really do much with that like he was already satisfied with okay that it just looks weird you know um the and yeah yeah but the story and like the dialogue everything is just kind of it it feels like it's going through the motions like it's under two hours but it feels way longer (laughs) like um yeah it just felt interminable i mean he was clearly inspired by the dogma 95 movement Mm -hmm. so it was like stripping down film to its essence you know like just focus on the story it barely has a score Mm-hmm. in it so I, yeah i don't think he collaborated with cliff martinez in this one as well um but uh yeah it just it doesn't work the performances are fine and i did like the ending of the movie like i think the ending was really well done um and it also ties in with the limey like uh Terrence stamp makes an appearance in it and he's playing the same character from the limey he's playing wilson 
So, uh, but yeah, other than that, you know, it, it its only real contribution is that it was, it was one of the early movies shot on digital video uh, when hardly anybody was doing it. And in a way, though, it kind of um, it it freed him up in a certain way as well, the same way that uh, Schizopolis did, because you know he is a big proponent of digital video. He was one of the first people to like um, adapt to the red camera. Which was, um, you know, I don't know if people know this or still remember that when the red camera came out, like not a lot of people took it seriously because it was one of the first HD cameras, and um, it was created by the guy who, who, um, well, he didn't create it himself, but it was his company um, who founded Oakley, the sunglasses company, <laughs> um, and here they are, like wow. going into. Yeah, into digital video, Sick. but it was a huge success. You know, um, so many things are sh- now shot on the red, like um, uh, David Fincher swears by the red camera. You know, like a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of TV shows are shot with it now. And but uh, Soderbergh was like one of the first, yeah, adapters. And the movie he decides to do, like this is the amazing thing that I love. It's like he'll go small scale from something really huge. Um, he made this movie called Bubble. And the reason why this movie is so like notable is it was also one of the first movies to do something that's become common. And it became common last year with HBO Max, which is something called Day and Date, where they basically released the movie in theaters and on TV at the same time, you know. So this was one of the first movies. But it, it's actually... Um, uh, still notable more than just that fact. Like I, I think the story is very well done. It, he casts complete amateurs in the movie, and the acting is incredible. Especially the guy who plays like the cop uh, in the movie. Like because uh, I think he really was a cop. So um, yeah, it, it, it's still worth seeking out. I think it's one of his better movies. Um, Good. Yeah, but people have kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, he follows it up with another massive movie uh, with his boy uh, Benicio del Toro. I don't know if you saw this one, uh, Che. Uh, I have not seen Che. Uh, okay, yeah, it, it's a long one. It's it's four hours, and it's basically two movies. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. I saw it in the theater as one mo- one long movie, um, and it was an incredible experience. I like went in like I think after lunch. And I didn't get out until, you know, uh, it was already <laughs> evening. I think I saw it during the winter, too. So it was like nighttime by the time I got out of the movie. But again, it, it's like him utilizing the red camera. And for this one with the two parts, uh, like he shoots the first part in like, um, you know, scope, like widescreen. Uh-huh. And then the second part is shot in more in a more narrower frame. So he was utilizing like the way that the, the camera is able to shoot in two different um like frame aspect ratios so yeah and i saw it at a theater that no longer exists in uh well it's been converted into a music venue now um in new york city it it was called the zigfield it was like one of the last like movie palaces and you know how i i I mentioned before that i tend to like sit in the back of the theater Mm. This movie palace is so huge that when I sat in the back, I could barely see the screen. So I had to like go down uh, from the balcony and sit in the last row on the on the ground floor because it was just, uh, yeah, it, the theater was way too huge. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, and then you know, uh, so he's still kind of innovating now. Um, oh, just to say too, like, um, he kind of again kind of fell out of favor, uh, with the studios. Um, you know, like there was a point, I guess, where he was able to do what he wanted, but then the studios were kind of, I guess, reining back because these movies weren't making any money, and um. It was actually one particular movie. I don't know if you saw it, uh, which he ultimately didn't direct. Um, Moneyball. Did you ever see Moneyball? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For what it is, like I, I, I actually still like what ended up happening with that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of, of the last decade. Um, but the what Soderbergh wanted to do with that movie was a lot more innovative. It's going to mix like documentary with fiction. But the studio was just like, eh, you know, <laughs> we don't really. And he gives like this, uh, this amazing speech. If if people can find it, I think it's on YouTube about like why he's retiring, you know, from movies and like he's, you know, because one of the amazing things that he was also doing was, um, he's very supportive of other filmmakers, you know. So he's, uh, you know, talking about Barry Jenkins and Amy Simons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also produced this movie called Keen, uh, by Lodge Kerrigan. Which is great. Um, I really love that movie, and um, uh, he actually has his own like uh, edited version of of Keen that some people prefer over Lodge Kerrigan's oh, wow. version, which is that's amazing. Great. It's a special feature on the DVD. Yeah, you can watch a Soderbergh cut because <laughs> that's another thing that he does for fun. He actually just edits like his own versions of movies. Like he has his own edit <laughs> of of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Psycho. It's on his website. You know, uh, so if you want to see like a different cut of a movie by Steven Soderbergh, you know, it's like he could. Yeah, he clearly loves movies, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 he also he he clearly loves just having creative projects, you know, so just like, yeah, why not recut uh, your favorite film you know it's like it's 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 almost like something that you would that that uh, you that someone on YouTube would do you know it's like if you had access to right to any kind of like a footage like do it right exactly and it it reminds me a lot of um uh like uh pta's advice to write uh, people writing like you know if you're like blocked it's just um you know write somebody else's dialogue down you know write the scene down from a movie that you like and just kind of get the flow of um uh you know uh of of how the words go and then that will get you going because obviously like uh, a movie if it's done well and it's it's been thought out the yeah there's there's a reason why the shot cuts at that point or like why they they chose to place the camera there so you kind of understand that better um and yeah he going back to like his uh just innovating and adapting you know he he also started making movies on an iPhone. Yeah. You know, uh, he made two movies. Uh, one is more interesting than the other. <laughs> the other one, I couldn't actually even watch after the opening scene, oh, okay. but he made um, Unsane. Uh, I don't know if you saw that with Claire Foy. No, but yeah, it looks like it, it was a horror yeah. movie. Yeah. 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 It was a thriller. And I like that one better than High Flying Bird, which is the one he made for Netflix. Right. And that was the whole thing of like his retirement. You know, he retires the same way like Jay-Z retires, you know, which is basically like he's like, okay, this is my last movie. And then, um, you know, he comes back years later. Um, So uh, it's almost ironic, too, that during that like speech of like his 
his retirement. Like his last movie in theaters was uh, Side Effects, which I actually also really enjoy. And um, but his last movie movie at that time, I think around 2013 was um, uh, Behind the Candelabra, which is uh, was a movie made for HBO. So it never I think it got like a limited theatrical release, but mainly you could only watch it on HBO. Um, And uh, it's ironic that that's basically how he's been able to resurrect his career. He seems to have like a deal with HBO to make movies with them because, you know, obviously Kimmy was made uh, with HBO and it's actually his. uh, Yeah, yeah. It's his third uh, movie that he's made with them because, you know, he also did um, Let Them All Talk, um, which I, I also kind of enjoyed. It's a kind of middling Soderbergh movie. Um and uh the the one last year which was or maybe he made both of the those two movies actually came out last year he had two movies last year it was um uh, uh no sudden move mm-hmm. which is also kind of an enjoyable thriller with good performances and people all ragged about like basically that he he shot a lot of the scenes with like a fisheye lens you know <laughs> where it distorts at the at the edges of the frame. And people found that to be distracting. Uh, but, you know, I was like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, he's trying different things, you know. And I mean, it, it's funny too, tying back to the pandemic, how one of his uh, movies from almost 10 years ago uh, became relevant again, which was uh, Contagion. Did you watch that one? Oh, yes. That's, that, that's one that we skipped. And that's one that I actually really, really like. I remember seeing yeah. it when it came out and, and and watching it again during the pandemic and just kind of <laughs> re-remembering just like oh wow like it's kind of going just like this and like i remember thinking like should should i get a suit like um like i remember there's a scene where jude law is in like this like fully yeah. encapsulated suit like mm-hmm. walk walking through san francisco <laughs> and i was just like man like is that gonna be the trend and of course right. no but um <laughs> But yeah, but I definitely remember thinking Contagion was really well done. And, it, it, and right. if I remember it correctly, it also kind of has like a certain coloring aspect yes. to it. Like it's not quite fully just like realistic color. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think it, it's supposed to um, uh, imitate the color palette of sickness. Like a lot of uh, people look mm, jaundiced right. and, you know, just kind of a green yellow filter over all the scenes. And, you know, it was just, amazing how it foreshadowed a lot of what happened in the past two years you know um uh yeah because i had to rewatch it after the pandemic but just the idea of you know touching your face how that makes you sick the idea of r knots mm-hmm. you know like all of those the things R-nots. became relevant yeah yeah and it was funny too because um and then, and when so no go ahead I was, I was gonna say just um the difference is in this movie they could they made a big deal about trying to figure out who patient zero was right what the source is Mm -hmm. and of course so in a movie you you can pinpoint it it, Mm -hmm. exactly and they do a really nice job at the end of wrapping it up right and here we are we'll never really know who patient zero is or like how it actually like started you know but it is funny how like um when because yeah the movie basically starts at day two and then it ends with day one so you finally see what actually happened right but the, one of the theories about it coming from bats it ties into uh contagion which is just like a weird coincidence like what how did that yeah. movie like predict that it could possibly come from bats you know 
Um, yeah. It goes all the way to the top, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, th- there's definitely like more of a, uh, you know, considering, uh, you know, uh, Soderbergh's like kind of egalitarian um, qualities in his movies, like, you know, there's more of a unification with this movie, even though initially, yeah, there is panic and like people are going crazy over like what they think is the cure uh, or like a, a vaccine, but it actually isn't. You know, um, uh, yeah, and then you know you have this conspiracy theorist uh, played by Jude Law, or or he's like a journalist, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, like towards the end of the movie, it kind of ends on a hopeful note that like, oh, humanity's all working together to find a solution, and you know all of these things, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, it it yeah. still holds up. I and I, the thing that I wanted to mention earlier though that I found really amusing was when uh, Steven Soderbergh was doing the the press for this movie. I still remember it vividly. Like, he was basically scaremongering people <laughs> during, the, you know, the, the, you know the, the interviews. Like, he was saying, you know, I mean, you, you wash your hands. Like, that's probably going to protect you for, like, a couple of minutes. And then, you know, if you use hand sanitizer, probably protect you for 30 minutes. Yeah, he was, he was talking about yeah. just how all wow. these, yeah, like you, you just can't protect yourself, you know, like you can just get it, you know, whatever diseases are out there, you know. Uh, but yeah, I just found that amusing. Yes. And again, he did That's it in funny. his, yeah, customary deadpan way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. He's, he's he's had I've, quite a career. I feel like that's a movie. I feel like that's a movie that's gonna like it'll always have a, a rewatchability and a real life that, yes. um, that, you know, this current situation has just, has just kind of thrust it into mm-hmm. the limelight in a way that like, you know, other kind of disease movies like outbreak from, from the nineties. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm missing another one, but mm-hmm. like it just, they just aren't as good and aren't as, um, have the test of time, I guess. So there's, there's something about right. contagion. It's still, it still is relevant. It still holds up. It's not hokey. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I definitely would rank that like close to the top of of Steven Soderbergh's mm-hmm. films. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I just wanted to mention one other film that I, I I passed over, and it's actually also celebrating its 20th anniversary, like Full Frontal, because. He made it in the same year. So back in 2002, it was also kind of a controversial choice that he made another movie of Stanislav Lem's uh, Solaris, um, which uh, starred George Clooney. Did you see that one? I have not seen Solaris, though. Okay. And you haven't seen the Andrei Tarkovsky Solaris either. Yeah. So um, some people mistake it for a remake, but it's not. It's an adaptation of, of Stanislav Lem's book. Uh, yeah, because uh, that's basically where the, the connections end. Like, he doesn't repeat any of the shots from, from Tarkovsky's movie because, you know, it would be absurd to try. Um, and uh, the thing that actually his version of Solaris has over Tarkovsky's Solaris is, well, one, the score... Is incredible, and I—I I mean, I would say this is Cliff Martinez's best mm-hmm. score. Like, um, there's two pieces in particular that, when I hear it, like I get really emotional. And uh, one is called "Don't Blow It," and the other one is called "First Sleep." And you know, you can find it online. Yeah. It's probably on Spotify. But those two pieces, man, like it—it it hits me. 
and knowing yeah uh, because uh the scenes that tie into it too and this is the other thing like one of the weakest things about tarkovsky's version of solaris is that the central like love story or romance or the the relationship that's kind of refusing to go away it's it's it just doesn't resonate you know and it might have had something to do with you know um the actor who plays chris kelvin in the original i'm blanking on his name now but uh he actually didn't get what tarkovsky was trying to do <laughs> so he his performance is a little confused and then um I don't know the the actress who plays his wife too like I, the performance is kind of a little hammy to me so uh but with George Clooney and Natasha Macalone uh I think they really had chemistry hmm. and um the way that he kind of shows how they first met like that's not in Tarkovsky's version like it, you really feel it you know he's yeah. so well done and that's where actually um you know don't blow it uh plays and um yeah it's just incredible like it, it's a lot more human than tarkovsky's movie even though you know tarkovsky is like a very human filmmaker i think um this was still around the time that tarkovsky was uh you know um finding himself it was only his uh, third film i think at that point um and, but and then you know he made his masterpiece mirror right after but um uh i still actually give the edge to Tarkovsky Solaris um, mm. just because of what he's doing cinematically that uh, I don't know Soderbergh it's 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 not fair to compare but, sure. but you know there's things with that Tarkovsky is doing in his version that are just incredible like the sequence that everybody talks about is the the highway sequence that seems that kind of takes the place of traveling through space mm. um, it and it's in black and white and it, you can find it on YouTube. Like it's yeah. such an incredible sequence. And um, one of the things with Tarkovsky is that his movies usually end with like a miracle or a revelation. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the the revelation at the end of this one of Solaris is amazing. So oh, yeah, but I, I still like uh, the Soderbergh Solaris, but not as much as the Tarkovsky one. Great. So yeah. Yeah. So so where does uh where does this new Kimmy rank in the pantheon? Is it right in the middle? <laughs> is it is it in the bottom third? What you thinking? Yeah. I I would say it's in the bottom third. Uh yeah. you know, it it's not as um it's not as bad as full frontal mm-hmm. or um even um I'm trying to think of of some of his movies that are um that are kind of unremarkable, but I, uh, yeah, like uh, Ocean's Twelve, man, the right. sequel to Ocean's Eleven. Oh yeah, those are those are really the bottom, <laughs> like, of uh of Soderbergh movies, yeah. you know. And then at the top, top, you know, uh, you know, it's like those are all like the obvious ones. They're all like when when mm-hmm. when they're good, they're really good. And then and then I guess just like the movies yeah. like like Schizopolis or whatever. It's like. I get you know like mm-hmm. so so me and you are kind of s- split on it. It's just it's it's a little bit of like right. w- what what do you enjoy and what can you glean out right. of it? Because um it's because it, it exactly is yeah it's it's one really of those fun. movies yeah yeah but it yeah it, it's just like his preamble at the beginning of the movie is just uh, <laughs> yeah he <laughs> he says it's up to you whether you like it or not like yeah. uh, the, 
it's your fault if you don't enjoy it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah what, yeah, what would you say is your, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite uh, Soderbergh movie, Steve? Mm. Man, my favorite being the one that I would like, would want to put on like the most often and, and enjoy watching. It probably is something mm. fun like Ocean's Eleven where it's just like, it's easy gotcha. and it's like, it's always enjoyable. But if I had to mm-hmm. then go on the other side and say, well, what do I think is his best? It's probably, it probably is traffic. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. And I would say for me, it's definitely the limey. I mentioned that earlier. Um, limey, I didn't even yeah. go that deep into it, but, but yeah, the limey is my favorite Soderbergh. I actually uh, went to see it in theaters like twice. I think in the same day, like I, I, I left the movie theater and then I thought about it and then like I went back and paid for another ticket and watched it again. Wow! Like that's how much right. I loved it. Yeah, I gotta watch this one. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Because you know, I, I see this as a long term project. Whenever we get back <clears> to filling in like these good movies that we have, you know, that for whatever reason we haven't seen, mm-hmm. we'll do a whole app on the limey. That sounds sure. Good. Cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I can even like uh, we can even do like a themed episode on it where I feel because I mean this is one of my interests is just how cinema fractures time. So mm-hmm. you know we it, we can even That's go good. back and and watch the the two movies that uh, that inspired it. So um, yeah, that'd be great. Great. All right. Um, so just before we wrap things up, I just want to say. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Jacob Rivera. Yeah. So uh, Jacob Rivera, he's a guy I know from uh, the wrong reel um, zebras universe. Uh, We (laughs) met briefly in New York, but we've actually like stayed in touch um, because he's from Long Beach. So like um, now that I moved back to SoCal, we've been um, we've been chatting and we've been meaning to get together. But like, you know, pandemic, all that stuff. So we haven't done it yet. But uh, yeah, we've been like catching up, you know, sharing favorites and stuff. And uh, I I told him that we had a podcast and he's been hyping us up on Twitter and it's been getting likes and hopefully we're getting uh, new listeners, too. So everybody who's listening for the first time, welcome. Hello. And yeah, thanks, Jacob, man, for uh, giving us the exposure and hyping us up. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, and if you're listening, I think it actually does help. If you're listening, give us a five-star review. Why not? Hey, yes. you've made it this Please. far. Yeah. I actually do think it helps. It helps it helps like put put the pod like higher up in, in people's search feeds and, and it, it's, it makes it easier sure. for, for people to find. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and if you can write a little review, that'd be great. And, you know, retweet uh, anything like just um, let's get the discussion going. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like it's like we're we're a movie club and you're invited, you know, and, and, and we're all just <laughs> discussing these great films together. Yes. Yeah. And discovering new stuff, too. Always. All right. So I would just like to end by saying. I believe so strongly in mayonnaise. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.